This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I should say, also host, but not only host, Realtors with uh, Oakland Realty in Vancouver. Today, we've got a fantastic episode. We have Rick Illich. He is the CEO of Townline. Townline, a household name in the development community. Everybody knows Townline. Lots of buildings uh, built throughout Vancouver, Metro Vancouver, yeah. BC, Victoria, North America. Yeah. Really great projects. Really great projects. Really great reputation. Uh, the, the fantastic part about this conversation for me is, you know, we're talking early days with Rick when he started Townline in the early 80s when interest rates were, you know, 18, 20%, whatever they were. So starting in a, in a pretty tough environment, surfing up and down the coast while he's building Townline, building single family homes to, uh, to concrete high rises that he's doing today. And just focusing on those, you know, thinking through the decades of the different markets and how Vancouver's changed. It was just a really fantastic conversation. And I'm sure Kokomo Studios made Rick feel right at home. You know, it was, uh, we've got the surf vibe going. Yeah, I think he was, he comment, he did, he did not comment on the groovy environment, but, uh, (laughs) but, but it seemed like he was right at home. Yeah, for sure. Uh, We talk, yeah, housing policy, the market, areas for investment, of course, Rick's story. I mean, we always get the question of of how do you become a, a developer, right? I mean, and often we get that from people that are are trying to figure out their path in real estate. And and really, I mean, this is a this is a good episode for that. We kind of chart the progression of of Rick through his career and Townline. And there's so many interesting takeaways from this conversation. Absolutely. So stay tuned for that. But before we get to that, Adam, of course, this podcast is sponsored by Scalina Real Estate. This is our real estate company here in Vancouver. And we wanted to highlight one of our listings this week. Yeah, Matt, you can find this listing at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, 201155 Seymour Street at the Brava. This is what I would like to call a sky home. Oh, uh, right. And, and somebody... I think Somebody that was me. chirped us one time for saying Sky yeah, Home. Yeah, I think I wrote Sky Home in a description once and there was some chirping going on. Yes. <laughs> I I got to say, it is, uh, it's truly a Sky Home when you're up there because it's floor to ceiling windows. You're kind of in the city in this really awesome way. You get really great views of... Yeah, fantastic views from fantastic this Fantastic city home. views. And you see it at night. It's like... Uh, it's like the jewels, the diamonds. Right. And, and, and one thing that uh, I just want to say is renovation... Bar none. Full, full-scale reno. Listed at $799,900. If you are looking for an awesome place downtown, this is one bed plus den plus flex. The amenities at the Brava, the pool. Oh, yeah. And Adam, you said uh, this featured listing is at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. When you head over there to check it out, of course, hit sell with us. That's where you can download the sold plan. This is our most downloaded document of all time. I think you said that. I think it's true. Give us a little taste of what the sold plan is. Matt, it's a step-by-step guide for how to get your home sold for top dollar in the shortest amount of time. It's really based on, you know, coming up on almost 15 years of selling hundreds of homes in Vancouver. This is really specific to our market, but it's evergreen content. You can download it today. You can hang on to it. Whenever you're thinking of selling, it will be there. We've had a ton of agents Take us up on our offer that if if they're interested, feel free to have a look at, at this resource. It's a great one. It's available on our site and it's an instant download. Absolutely. Hit sell with us at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. But Adam, maybe we should cut to our talk with CEO of Townline, Rick Illich. I loved having Rick in the studio and this is a great one. Enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. 
Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Okay, so we're here with Rick Illich, CEO of Townline. How you doing, Rick? I'm great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for coming into the studio, Rick. Maybe for our listeners who don't know, can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? I'm not good at that part, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so well, I'll be brief. <laughs> as, a, as a company, I've been around for about 40 odd years, but mostly the first 20 was probably on the tools, you know, and then the real growth probably started about 20 years ago. And, uh, yeah, I've just been enjoying every minute of it, you know. And and why why real estate? Uh, pro- probably just exposure. You know, my my dad was a a road builder, servicing contractor, and he kind of accidentally fumbled into some land and land development, and so it was the language I was familiar with. And so as I grew up on his job sites, I just uh, it, back then it was the newspaper. You found, I found a job being offered by one of the clients we were servicing subdivisions for and I applied for the job and got into the development game that simply you know as a bit of a gopher for a while and then five or six years later I moved on to do my own thing and you actually you did you grow up in Steveston I did if I read yeah. yeah and yeah. and so BC born and raised and um were you were your parents from from BC as well they settled in Richmond my mom's from England and uh, my dad's family's Yugoslavian but uh, ultimately he was he was born in Northern BC and we settled in Richmond. Wow. So, and, and so his company was more kind of on infrastructure, like building out infrastructure. Right. And, and so how, how do you go from, from having that kind of experience of getting into residential? And I, I know Townline does a lot of different asset classes, but, but how do you become a residential developer? Well, when I, when I applied for that job in the newspaper way back then, it was uh, first national lands, which was, Back then, the people that have been around for a while would recognize Block Brothers as an entity, and they Block Brothers owned them for a while, and then Olympia York bought them. But uh, I, I just took the job on as a gopher because they liked the idea that I understood infrastructure and, and uh, that added value to them. And just that was really my schooling of development. I would say would be first national. And while there, building lots were hard to sell, so we uh, I kind of picked the short straw and, and had to put together a housing program to help support the local single family builders. So it was kind of my step into single family and that's where I started. And then I just kind of enjoyed the field side more than the office. So I eventually quit and started building houses. And so Townline starts in, in 1980, 80, early 80s. 80, early eighties. In a lot of ways, like we've, we've heard for years on the show and, and, uh, uh, you know, I was around, but interest rates weren't a concern of mine in, in the early eighties high interest rate environment, you start town line. Does that, does this moment remind you of the early eighties in any way? Um, yeah, yes and no. It's, it's feeling eerily more like it, uh, as every week it seems, but, um, <laughs> but back then we didn't have the robust immigration policies that the country has now. And, uh, really before 86, you know, Vancouver was often called more of a village than a city. So we, the, the marketplace was really a, all about servicing locals. And I, I guess it would have been the first movement in or noticeable shift in thinking would have been when Hong Kong became more uh, interested in Vancouver. And then it just kept growing from there. You know, the Im- immigration policies got stronger, more robust, and 
the numbers got bigger and and uh before you knew it we were um probably spending as much time if not more servicing new immigrants new citizens as we were uh some of the move-ups in the in the sideways moves mm-hmm. of locals did it seem did it seem risky at the time when you started Townline though in in the early 80s like given the the state of the market and the interest rates i mean how did you reason with that or was or did it feel like a moment where you saw a bright future in the city um i, I think i was just dumb and happy you know building houses <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know i always joke about my little dodge dakota with the uh, canopy and my surfboards on the roof so whenever i had a chance to go windsurfing or down to mexico i'd be gone so it was um as much as fun lifestyle as it was uh career i i would suggest i never really had a business plan i just got busy and um it's you know the cost of money then the high interest rates was just the norm you know we hadn't uh although they they did move up quite quickly you you, you could still there was still business to be had largely due to the equity requirements much were much lower and the volume of what we were doing was much smaller mm-hmm. you know one thing that strikes me about just the the timeline of Townline is you start in the early 80s and like you said, kind of the village vibe, whereas then Expo and then things kind of take off from there. But it it in some ways, like the you just got busy <laughs> idea was the city just kind of exploded in in, in a lot of ways. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, again, they when the world, when, when Vancouver was showcased during Expo, it was a uh, a big opener for a lot of people and uh, a lot of businesses grew very rapidly as a result of that. And I would say most of us simply didn't understand world markets. And a lot of the people that came here and experienced Expo, they did, you know, so they saw probably, they probably saw the potential before we did. Right. So we're in a moment where there's massive immigration and we're trying to, to accommodate and deal with a housing crisis that we've been talking about for at least a decade the the provincial government especially right now seems to be very aggressive in changing you know whether it's six units on a single family single family lot quite recently the the increase to density around skytrain stations especially that it, that at least when you look on a map with the kind of circles as to where that density can go it looks like it could entirely reshape large swaths of vancouver uh, what are your thoughts on on those policies I think for the most part, they're they're all definitely going in the right direction. I, I'm confident that all the nuances haven't been sorted out yet. And I respect as a backroom of people busily creating policy and 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 the, and the wraparounds of that. But there'll be and there'll be a few mistakes. It, you know, it's only fair to suggest that there would be. But it's it's definitely uh, admirable and aggressive. You know, that the province is recognizing that this isn't all about you know, our industry, it's about some of the obstacles that other levels of government, including themselves at times, you know, put get in the, get, that put in the way of housing. So I think um, to, to have them identify or recognize that uh, government does need to be more of a partner than an obstacle or a, or a police state is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Very good thing. Do you think that has an impact? I mean, obviously not in the short term, because I think you know, they still have to work out the details in a, in a lot of respects, but, but let's say five years, eight years, like, does this have a, does this move the dial in, in a significant way? It, it will move the dial in approvals and building starts. But again, there is only so many people that can actually put these things together. You know, we, we are, we are already experiencing labor shortages and, and, uh, and, even to this day, we're still dealing with some supply chain issues. Um, I believe all of that is organically going to improve. People have woken up to think that to realize that the trades is actually a pretty good place for, you know, my 18 year old kid to go or right. my 16 year old kid to go. So, so that's that's great news because it, it is the trades is a great place. It's a great lifestyle. It's it's a, it's good good money, and uh, and it's meaningful. So there has been a shift from that moment in time where everybody was jumping in front of a keyboard. Now, uh, hopefully you'll see more and more kids go to, uh, to the trades. Yeah. So, so that's all positive and will help move the dial, but this is a, uh, a long-term investment. You know, are we going to see much in five years? Yeah, we'll see some significant improvements and increases in density, allowable density, and we'll see more and more larger projects under construction 
and and I haven't quite got my head around the, the five or six homes per lot modeling. And on the larger lots, I can see it working, but there's going to be those. Mo- there's going to be that fine line between how how small of a lot can you really, you know, push this model right. And I, and I don't think single family housing should be demonized. I think it's a it's a choice that if people can afford it, why not? And um, unfortunately, there is a movement to suggest that uh, if you can afford single family housing, you're a bad person, you know, because you've worked you've worked too hard to make too much money. Uh, <laughs> you know, just as a total aside, and I don't know if you've thought about this at all, but just be, we had a conversation when that the provincial government announced that the rezoning around the sky trains and and I have a house in East Vancouver and it's, it's outside of that area. And Adam has a house in East Vancouver and it's outside of that area. And we were wondering, like, you know, you look at along arterials, say like Nanaimo or wherever, where along first, where the values shot up because it was, that's where you could densify. Do you think this, what do you think this does to to land values in those those areas because like around commercial skytrain that's a big chunk of houses that suddenly you know have have there's a there's a huge upswing there in terms of what you can build i think if government um was bolder before they make these announcements they would or it may be when they make these announcements they would um put a time frame maybe on land values when it comes to rezonings you know so if your home in Nanaimo was worth X today and they make that announcement tomorrow, I think they should identify and say, look, you know, we're, we are going to take, you know, if you don't behave, <laughs> we are going to take a lift from you, you know, and, and, uh, and that kind of threat, I think will, will, you know, keep, keep the honest people honest, you know, and, uh, I, I think that's what's missing in a lot of this policy. Mm. You know, again, that sounds very socialistic and, and, Respectfully, this movement, we have no choice but to think more socialistic than we ever have. You know, if we're if we're genuinely believing in trying to get to a point of affordability uh, and and enough housing for everybody, uh, it's just the way it is. My sense is like I, when I saw that announcement, my first thought was there's a whole bunch of people that are going to think that they've just won the lottery by by being in in these circles on the map. Um, but then my second thought was, I bet there's not a lot of people beating down their doors trying to redevelop their <laughs> land right now. And and I guess like we kind of talked a little bit, Rick, before we pushed record here about just some of the challenges facing the development community, but also just kind of building our way out of this. Like what are some, like, where do you see the friction in actually bringing supply online right now? Well, well again, if you break down the discussion into maybe three sectors from market rental housing, it's, it's, so so challenged you know and as despite what you you know you, you can be the brightest best builder on the province in the province but when there's no cast iron pipe around you know and, and you've got a contract for someone to supply it you have a choice you either cooperate with them or you watch them go broke and watch your projects you know stall so there's more most of us are being pretty respectful maybe reluctantly at times of having to just deal with rising costs that Despite our fixed price contracts with some of our suppliers and trades, and and we have projects underway that are rental that are gonna you know do as Performa said they should do, and we've got others that we're gonna be lucky to break even, you know, and, and uh, that's just the market we're in, and and the cost of money is impacting not just us as the builder developer, but it's cost is affecting everybody down a supply chain. They're all dealing with debt of some nature, and uh, so even though interest rates are really kind of low now. They're certainly not low from a couple of years ago, you know, and, yeah. and, and that's the window when everybody just jumped in. And now that the cost of money has moved from virtually zero to, you know, seven plus percent, there's a whole bunch of projects, whether approved or not, that are not going to get built this cycle. They just, the economics aren't there due to historic land costs, due to, you know, the, the fees that the, many of the cities are pulling out of these projects are ridiculous. And do you see, like, I mean, are we in a period, and I think I know the answer to this, but are do you think we see building costs coming down no. in the foreseeable future at all? I, I don't see how that could happen. We're, we're challenged on labor still. We are, through, through immigration, we are getting 
more and more people will, willing to be in the trades, which is great news. You know, our, you know, Camosun College and, and BCIT and, and those have great apprenticeship programs and they're doing great things. We're bringing some skills to the, to the marketplace. But it, we're, we're, we don't produce much of anything in BC other than lumber. And um, so our, the products are coming from all over the world. And they're being, um, you know, shipped over in freighters, you know, billowing out, you know, smoke <laughs> and and some of the issues that people like to talk about. But uh, you know, we're, we're not in charge of that. And until until the marketplace softens globally, you know, the price of the stuff's not coming down. And I'm confused as to how you could you could trade theory around pricing coming down when right now a good part of the world is blowing itself up. And when those things end. Uh, the demand for steel and concrete and glass and mechanical systems are going to go through the roof. I guess, so if if the building materials, the prices aren't coming down, the labor presumably is getting, there's more skilled labor, hopefully, but the wages aren't going down. Do you think there's, is there is there room on the land side? Is that where there's potential here for, because it seems... At least as I understand it, a lot of assemblies aren't happening right now. We have to deal with the historic costs, or we, the development community, I guess. But moving forward, do you see land prices coming down? Uh, We've seen land prices temper. Uh, People are not getting multiple offers. Um, We've gone back to a couple of people that we were working with last or early in the year and proven a case that what we had under contract needed to be reduced or we'd have to walk. And they've been realistic, uh, so they're it de- you're not seeing the growth, you know, or the the inflationary push on land as you once did. You are seeing people that genuinely are looking to sell have gotten more realistic, and um, I don't think you're going to see a big inflationary pop on land at all. Uh, you're going to see um, a more tempered market for quite a while, but it's coming down. To what point? You know, if you're buying a an existing commercial property or a strip mall or even a, a very tired poorly maintained apartment building those things still have income and they sell out of at a, on a value based on their income so nobody's going to be dropping the price below what it's worth as an income in a, as an existing income producing property so so you have those restraints and you simply have a restraints on land period you know or every everything we're doing is very little greenfield left it's all about recycling what's already there and, right. and uh so if, if there's income on what's being that's sitting there now, that's kind of the floor you know, of value. Do, do you see opportunities in the market right now? Or is it like a wait and see moment, I guess? Well, there's, there's the, 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 op, the opportunities are the enthusiasm and the cooperation we're getting from provincial government. You know, they're, 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 they're genuinely working with the industry, which is rare. So, so I think they're putting a, pretty good foot forward to try to create housing. So there, there's the opportunity, you know, provided the, the simple math works, you know, and then, then yes, you know, they're, they're, we're there, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, but again, there are rentals even currently that we have shelved, you know, cause they just, the, the economics aren't there. So, so as much as uh, there's a real debate over how to create more housing, I think ultimately in this country, because we are so far behind, uh, we're, we need help from all levels of government to trim costs and processes and timeframes and just a little more cooperation. And we're getting it from the province. Most of the cities are rarely really partners in housing. They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're very busy acting as policy police than, than they are visionary or, 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 or working with the industry. Do you see any low-hanging fruit when it comes to trimming costs? Like... DCCs, for example, or is there an area where you think uh, there can be more cooperation? Well, well, the areas of discussion are, are trimming fees for sure, and and again, some cities are are there, particularly for rental housing, and and most certainly for affordable or the uh, affordable the subsidized rentals, which which we do a lot of for a lot a lot of the not for profit operators. Um, so there is cooperation on a, on the affordable side as soon as the word market is in there whether it's market rental or market housing for sale there's there's no there's no real cooperation it's just gonna it's again it's kind of i don't want to call it the user word demonized again but it's really the market and the opportunities are all about rental 
subsidized rental or, or social housing. And these are all small, small margin deals. And so you need support from government to help you fund these things, which is mm-hmm. what CMHC has been pretty good at, even though they're backlogged. And in our province is um, been working on different, at least if they're listening about the concept of um, being helping the equity stack or helping the financing on some of these projects. So I'm optimistic that they come forward with a couple of policies around that. Do you think, do you think that that changes? Cause the one thing I've just been, or we've been talking about a lot is the number of demand side measures over the last decade or I guess eight years or whatever from the start of the foreign buyers tax on. And, and like that idea that, that kind of like knee jerk market rental market housing is, is somehow, you know, not of interest, but it strikes me as like, that's a huge swath of housing that is kind of out of the conversation right now and doesn't pencil, right? Like, do you foresee we just move down this, this road of plodding forward with, with not a lot of, not getting much of anywhere. And then it's like, everybody kind of comes around to like, let's just build as much housing as we can. Like we just need to build the housing, forget the ideological bent on whatever you think? Well, you have to, it's simple math, right? There's got to be a margin in it. And uh, and the banks really set the ground rules. You know, if, if you're not, if they don't see enough margin in the deal, if they don't see enough equity in the deal, they're not going to fund it. You know, so, so and then again, BC has very restrictive, on the, on the for ownership side, BC has very restrictive rules around disclosure and uh, so, like you know, we, we're given a, a set time frame to hit our to break ground, and, right. our, and and a lot of other provinces don't have that. And and we've been lobbying for a, we need a much longer period. What, what is point. the logic of that? I've never really understood what like why why the the time frame. Um, you know what? I, I I'm not even sure I've ever asked a question. Yeah. You know? it <laughs> but, seems like it, such a, such a almost arbitrary. Well, it is arbitrary. So, so, and, and so, so what we all have to do, we all have to do a pre-sale campaign, which is very expensive. Right. And, uh, and it, tr- traditionally, like in the, even in the eighties, when we were selling product, it was very tempo driven. It was, you, you go to build a project and there wasn't that much multifamily being built or there were more modest projects. So you ultimately, eventually you'd get there, you get your pre-sales so you can break ground and such, but but now when these projects are two, three, 400 units, that's a lot of buyers. And, 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 and a big part of our buyer pool had been investor driven, which might be mom and pop investors that are buying a place that at some point they're going to rent it out or they're going to put their kids in it. If they're thinking about downsizing and they've got somewhere to live or they just like the um, income from it. But we're, again, we're, we're, we're definitely, again, demonizing investors, which is really foolish. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it is what gets housing built. And if we didn't have investors buying our homes for the last few decades, we'd have like half the rental stock we have now. And most of these homes go to the rental pool. Mm-hmm. They're, not, they're not a predetermined, uh, a guaranteed rental. They're there for a period of time. But without them, the problem would be much greater. So, so the more taxes we layer on, uh, whether an investors or, or uh, vacancy or, or foreign investors and that, it just, it's actually exponentially making the problem worse, Mm -hmm. I think. Does investing in Vancouver real estate, you know, like you just said, make sense right now? Well, when you look at Vancouver as a whole, despite some of the really thought out policies wrapped around um, mental health and drug addiction, which is impacting our streets, (laughs) and you put that aside, which I'd love to talk about, but... (laughs) (laughs) You know, it, it's a it's it's an amazing city. You know, on a day like today, it's just absolutely gorgeous, right? And, and and we have a very limited land supply. You know, in the spring, you can go sailing in English Bay, or you can go skiing at at Grouse in the same day. It's it's pretty pretty rarefied area. Mm-hmm. So so who doesn't want to have live in this more tempered region with relatively moderate politics? You know, and and uh, but it's it, 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 there's a price to it. It's expensive to be here. In my opinion, it always will be. I, I think that uh, it, yeah, I think most investors want to have something in their portfolio in Vancouver. It's just, it's 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 a triple A real estate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And it, we've, we've talked about it on the show and in, in many ways, this idea of building our way out of it, which seems so implausible, at least in the next two, 20 or 30 years, um, it seems like some people will make that bet that prices won't come down because the fact that we just can't build our way out of this. I, I agree. I do not believe we can build our way out of it. I think that we can improve, dramatically improve the situation, but I don't think we'll build our way out of this in my career. What do you think is the biggest risk to Vancouver real estate? Hmm. All levels of government not cooperating with each other. You know, it would probably be the biggest risk. You know, I think the federal government of the day is, is tone deaf when it comes to housing. The new housing minister, the federal housing minister, I think is a breath of fresh air. So hopefully he'll get his way to do more for the market. But I'd say the risk is most likely uh, all levels of government just not cooperating. And I think especially down at the civic level, I think there's just right now there's a whole bunch of angst about the province stepping into their into their world. And, and that's that's going to be a bit of a, I can't, I can't think of a nicer word, a bit of a pissing match for a while. So Yeah, but almost more politics and power and control and nonsense rather than I think so. actually. And, and, and taxation, you know, you. Even recently, a, a, a federal policy or, or a rule around taxation came up where, where as much as CMHC is trying to do a good job of providing low, you know, below market capital to inspire market rental or, or sub-market rental, this new taxation law basically uh, takes away all those benefits. And, and you know, and, and, then, and then as quickly as the GST was relaxed, the the local capital district, you know, on the island and, and the regional district in Vancouver throw these massive new proposed fees on housing, which eats up most of the savings. So everybody's just grabbing, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they're all this siloed thinking. You know, I'm, I'm a fan, and I have said it in, in, to a fair amount of people in government that anything that smells like housing, no matter which ministry it comes from or what civic government or which regional district, hundred percent of those policies should have to filter up to the housing minister's office for justification, so they can get they can get a better rationale as to what um, what will it be, what will the impact be on housing. Hmm. And right now, it's all in silos. Everyone is doing the, doing their own thing. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join typing in VRP 2020. Interesting stuff. You know, I'm just thinking because it, it's it's funny, you know, I know Townline does some interesting stuff with trying to mitigate against environmental impact 
and there's obviously there's a lot of waste that comes from from building housing. Can you talk a little bit about that? And is Townline unique in in the industry in that way? And and also, I guess more more largely, we've talked about regulation and kind of you know moving to towards carbon neutral and and passive house and all these things. And most of the people we've talked to always say that's just going to make stuff more affordable, unaffordable, and it's going to be more difficult to build. So I'm wondering, can you talk, I guess, about your take on on where we're at in terms of building environmentally and and what the positive future looks like in that regard? There's been a lot of a lot of effort put into wrapping your head around what we can do better as an industry or in the built form of housing and uh, to slow down or mitigate some of the environmental risks that were we now recognize wasn't that long ago we really didn't get it you know we were and i and respectfully I, I would be one of those people you know you're just being busy being busy you know and, right. and you building your houses but i think i think the raised consciousness of uh uh environment and what it what our industry can do to improve is fantastic but w- when we looked at it you know again what does carbon neutral mean you know most of the people's G- gs or esg reports that I've read is really just kind of comes down to a bunch of verbiage and ultimately they're just going to buy a bunch of carbon credit, you know? And, and um, so, so I, I don't think I can do as a builder, if I'm trying to build a 30 or 40 story tower that is needed, I'm not going to be able to do that, you know, carbon neutral, you know, it's um, concrete is concrete. If you want to use some of the new blends and mixes that they're trying, that they're, they're, they're working with, and we've used some of it, but they don't have the same curing timeframes. So it means longer periods of time to build, which is much more, very expensive. Concrete companies are seeing this as a profit center. So when you start adding these mixes to reduce your carbon, you're also paying another 20 bucks a meter. You know, so, so, so the big winner is them. You know? Right, right. You know, and, 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 it, and, and most of the product, whether it be the powder in the, in the spent itself, is coming over on a, you know, on a ship across the sea, as is all of our steel as is most of our glass, you know, and so how do you fix that? You know, I, I can't fix it. I can simply respond to it and do my best to make decisions around what can I do better? So, so the things that I know we could have impact on was, is landfill, you know, so, so we've chosen, uh, and I think it might've been a simple being exposed to through my kid's school, I think about what plastics and what's the, the big garbage patch in the, in the Pacific. And, and that really kind of hit me, hit me, you know, and I, so surfer, surfer, there you go. I love <laughs> the ocean. Yeah. So, so, you know, I said immediately, we're just going to do everything we can do to reduce our plastic. So, so every sales center, every building that we're involved in, there's always pallets of plastic water bottles that we're handing out, like, you know, parade candy. Yeah. And uh, so we, that was the low hanging fruit for us. So we said immediately, no more plastic. We've created thousands of stainless steel water bottles and, and uh, we have those in our job sites in our sales centers we have water fillers in our job sites in our sales centers and we're just trying to bring awareness to reducing plastics on our sites so we separate our plastics on the sites that we that we carefully take to a recycler and sort and and we do our best to get as much recycling as possible to make sure this stuff doesn't end up in a pallet and put on a barge and burnt in valley or somewhere where it often ends up right. So, so I think we've done a very good job of reducing our impact on plastics. I think wood is just, it's, you know, it's biodegradable. It's not a big deal, but we choose to keep it out of the landfills by by chipping and trying to reutilize it either in land in uh, soils or in uh, landscape as a topping. So re- recycling's not that hard. It just just takes organization and it does cost something, you know. But it, it's nowhere near the government mandated costs that we're being asked or told to do you know that they the changes in mechanical systems and uh is is adding tens of thousands of dollars per home you know and uh some of the more recent adaptability uh issues that they're they're going to mandate in the building code pretty soon are going to add tens of thousands of dollars of dollars to new homes at the same time where everybody in the government's preaching we have to do what we can do to reduce costs. They've layered on thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars uh, at because they're following what is I think they deem to be popular, and I'm not necessarily sure they've really thought out all the ramifications. I think it's important to address it, 
think it's important to reduce our carbon wherever we can, but you know, at what cost? You know, and and the and the people would challenge me on that statement, saying, "Well, at what cost? It's the future. It's our planet." Which I do agree, but I think smaller step. Mm. Seems like a lot of crises at odds with each other yeah, right now. Again, these siloed policies that are just conflicting everywhere in housing. On a more optimistic... <laughs> I was going to say, any, <laughs> any ideas on something positive we can uh, talk about? We can, uh, well, well, not well, around the, housing. <laughs> well, well, the good news is it, it, housing is getting built and we're building as rapidly as we can provided the economics are there right and we are in a moment in time you know where the cost of money is dramatically impacting the delivery of of particularly um rental you know in in more outside the city center or maybe even on some of the smaller infill sites around vancouver townhouses are getting built and they're great great housing options and and yes it's it's expensive and I, i can't think of anywhere in the lower mainland or the fraser valley that you're going to buy a new townhouse for under a million dollars, you know, and, and that's the new, that's our reality, you know, and, right. and, and so that is not going to service everybody, right? but um, it's really going to service a large portion of the population. What, um, maybe just uh, switching gears a little bit, but, you know, Townline is, has built homes in all over the lower mainland and throughout BC and, and North America, but just thinking about like the lower mainland right now is are there certain areas or um, municipalities that you're really excited about kind of personally like looking at just just how the how the uh how the region has is evolving um i i think all of the communities that are embracing transit and uh and and putting their hand up and saying hey province we get it we don't like the being mandated to do these things, but we get, we get it, you know, and there are those communities that are coming forward. And so, yeah, I, I'd say that, um, you know, they recently announced transit corridors in, in Surrey through to Langley is, is, a, is very important. You know, no one enjoys highway one. Right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, I, and I think the, um, the growth we've seen up in mission, uh, you know, the growth we're seeing currently in Abbotsford, you know, it's, um, it's all, necessary housing and it's very positive and for those that aren't going to spend their time whining that they can't afford point gray because that's where they grew up but they're happy to move out to uh langley or aldergrove uh, for suitable housing that's great those, those are great communities mm-hmm. so I, I um i i think in general you know obviously i'm in the business and i don't mean to be so negative on so many topics but i you know i, I love the industry I, I love what we're doing and um and, and I would say there's only a few I think there's only a few community civic politically motivated groups that are still drawing a hard line in the sand about being cooperative on these some of these mandated uh, provincial mandates. Mm. What about and I'm I'm just trying to think, I mean, I, I remember in Victoria it was the Hudson mm-hmm. and H- Hudson One, I think. What other around BC? Like do you have any any areas around BC that you're really excited about or you think have a bright future? Well, again, the, the whole island, Vancouver Island, is wonderful. You know, again, they're getting transit issues too, and and, and you know the drive uh, in from Langford to Victoria is no fun anymore. <laughs> I, was <just> thinking, <laughs> I was just thinking about that. <laughs> but you know, Langford itself is a great community, and and uh, you know, I think that we could probably, if those cities like Langford were to incent more business to operate, and you know, employment businesses operate there, they would get some attention and. And uh, like I, I would live in Langford, I would live in Victoria. You know, um, you know, I, I like the, the island in general. I mean, Nanaimo's—I shouldn't say just Nanaimo. Like all cities are having some of their safety issues on the street, but that's another topic, I guess. But it's—I uh, was just in Nanaimo this week, and I think Nanaimo is beautiful. But it's—you don't want to be walking on the streets after eight o'clock, mm. at least downtown. But um, so I—I'm—I um, no, I think that there's. Lots of, I don't think there's many bad choices, you know, to where you to live in the province, or at least in the lower mainland and Fraser Valley. And uh, I think just um, provided the the communities can keep up with their infrastructure around schools and transit and hospitals and and this government's, um, you know, spending a lot of money upgrading a lot of hospitals right now, which is some people would argue to be fiscally wrong, but it's fantastic for those communities. Mm-hmm. And they're 
they're investing enough for growth, not just to deal with today's mean, needs. So, yeah, I was just thinking from, uh, and maybe this is this is a forecast, but we always say, you know, what's the market going to do in one, three, five years? I'm just thinking more from if he's if from the early '80s in 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 a very high interest rate environment, much higher than today, but maybe draw parallels. And then parts of the '90s were not so great, right? I, I feel like I just had a conversation, and and I wasn't in BC in in the '90s, but there was actually out migration for some of those years, right? It was kind of a lost decade might be a little strong, but there was a, a, a real doldrum thinking about now looking forward or are we in, cause it seems like now Alberta is having a moment again and we seem to move in, in opposites in a lot of way. Where are we at? Are, are you excited about the next decade in, in Vancouver? I, I am definitely excited about the next decade. Probably all I've got left at my age, but the, <laughs> you know, but the, um, <laughs> Uh, so actually the next couple of decades, but it, it is, it is, uh, there's a whole bunch of policy shifting going on right now. So there's, there's going to be, you know, a classic cycle of change, right? Shock and awe. Then there's gonna be anger and then there'll be acceptance. It's like every shift in, in, in change cycle has that kind of response. And I, I, I would say with the interest rate environment right now, um, and, and the media on that bandwagon, you know, that there's a lot of folks that are on the sidelines. Because they're used to instant gratification on 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 their returns, but I think ultimately your your home is your home, you know, and, and uh, you shouldn't be looking at it as a like a stock, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, ultimately, you're going to get growth, you know. Take care of your asset, which is your home, and uh, when when it's when there's time, when you the time is there where you want to make a change. My guess is in the next few years you're going to find value. So I think right now with the cost of money and and the top everybody's topic is in inflation. Let's just get this year behind us. I'd say uh, I think it's a good time to be buying on the presale market because you're going to get through 24 and you're going to be well into 25 and 26. So I, I would um, I would argue that it's uh, it's, high, it's good timing to be thinking about presales. I don't have I do have I shouldn't say that I do have a better standing inventory, but it's. Um, um, we're, we're organically chipping away at that because people that genuinely need homes mm-hmm. are, are making, making the bet and they're, they're not going in there as an investor. They're going in there to buy a home. Right. Which seems like, uh, it's funny cause we work with, or we have worked with a, with a lot of real estate investors over the years. And this year's the year of the people moving through the market, mm-hmm. right? That's the. And investors looking for concrete. That's about four, four years out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and, and that, that's, that's good planning. It's good planning. You know, right. it, it's, uh, I, I'm not a stock market guy. I hate it. It's too volatile and it's totally manipulated by others. And, and at least your own, you can use your own judgment and should I, or shouldn't I buy that presale today? Right. And, and if you look at it on the three to five years, uh, timeline, it's, it's hard to argue that it's not a good bet. Rick, maybe as a, a final question, thinking back to, uh, the early eighties and being a young guy starting out in this industry, what advice would you give them now? Well, well, <laughs> surf more. Yeah, surf more, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Waves are up. <laughs> the, um, it, again, it, it was simpler, you know, but also I was a young guy and I had more gas in my tank. Right. So, so it, it, we have a bunch of really smart young people in our office that are investing in real estate here and there. And, uh, and, and their tolerance for, you know, some of the nuances that we have to deal with are, are higher than mine. You know, and so I think maybe I'm, I'm just getting cranky. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that I think the comparisons are um, we are in, in the 80s. You know, we were at the uh, maybe the mid 80s. We were on the front end of, of a dramatic shift in thinking about our city of Vancouver, where we are today. You know, we're we're world renowned. You know, we're a beautiful city. Uh, we have some of our issues around health and safety on the streets, but I think that's not being, it's not unnoticed. Government is paying attention. They're just scratching their heads as to what's the best model. And I think once they sort that out, um, and they will, they have mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think we're in for a, um, a pretty good run. And, and I just, again, I have a hard time believing there's many cities as beautiful as Vancouver and the lower mainland anywhere and with a, you know, in a, in a safe political environment, our, our politics are all pretty close to each other. You know, you know, I'm not happy with the, 
maybe the wealth taxes that are getting layered on right now for anybody that owns a company, but it's, um, I suspect that that will change if they want to keep people and employers here. Mm-hmm. In many ways, it feels almost like we're dealing with things that are a product of our success, right? It was like all yeah. those, those decades of success. And now it's like the aftermath. <laughs> yeah. 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 And in our shop, we we never chase, and you always hear guys talk about how much money they made on something, whether it's, whether they're selling playing cards or whether they're owning bars or whatever, but it's just, you know, we're, we're a base, we're a base hit company. You know, we're happy to do, you know, housing for the masses, you know, and, uh, and that's what we do. I'd rather be real busy than not busy. And I makes me feel good that we're mm-hmm. providing a service and we're making money at it at the same time. And, um, you know, and that's why we do so much work in the not-for-profit sector, you know, as a fee-for-service guy, because we, we believe that's the right thing to do, you know, and, and, um, and it's helping thousands of people. So uh, whether you're in th- those people in this subsidized market side are, Many of them are future homeowners of other product, you know, and, uh, you know, so we're a fairly big part of that market and we're a very reasonably good size in the pure for market side. And, um, you know, we, and we do when, when asked, we do stuff for the hard to house the folks that just really have no, no likelihood of ever obtaining housing without help, you know, and, uh, and that's, that's a growing area that we got to pay attention to. We, we do have this segment called the five wire, five lighthearted questions that we end every show with. I think we still got time on the meter. Um, can you, can you stick around for that? Sure. The five wire is brought to you by Scalina real estate. Hey, that sounds familiar. Scalina real estate is a full service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive tried and tested buyer and seller systems with over a decade in the top 10% of realtors in the lower mainland and a perfect five-star Google review. Scalina real estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. Question number one, Rick, what is one book that you've read recently that you would recommend for our listeners? <laughs> um, again, it'll show my age and my intellect, but I think it was Keith Richards' autobiography. Oh, nice. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> right on, great. In the last few years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Interesting. Um, I, would, I would say that a uh, belief... I, a, a very good friend of mine uh, introduced me to Buddhism, and uh, I would say that I recognize that I wasn't too far off a line from that mindset to begin with, and and I just uh, I probably pay more attention to working to stay within that thinking. It's a great one, huh? Question number three: What have you been binge watching lately, or a movie recommendation? Oh wow! Um, I'm going to mess up the name on the movie, but I think it's, it's an older movie. The, I think it's the, is it the life of Walter Mitty? And ah, uh, okay, yeah, that's quite interesting. And also binge watching, which I haven't done for a couple of months, but Fada on Netflix. Oh, the term Fada is, uh, I, I believe it's chaos in Arabic and it's, and it's, and it's just interesting timing, and, but it's, we binge watched it just before October sixth or seventh, yeah. and things went sideways in the Middle East. And this is all about the Israel and oh wow conflict. I highly recommend anybody that's forming opinions as to what's going on right now. They should watch that. Great recommendation. Okay, fantastic. Favorite band or music? <laughs> well, Could probably take a few stabs <laughs> at this. <laughs> well, it's pretty diverse. You know, grew up with the Beatles, obviously the Stones, and uh, anything eighties. You know, I. Uh, I still uh, like to listen to my Nirvana when no one else is in the car. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, my I I feel like we've talked about this a couple of days or a couple of times on the show, but I think just because the style's coming back amongst like I have a twelve year old and she's I'm not even sure she enjoys it, but she's like, hey, I want to buy a Nirvana sweater, and we're no, listening I, to I it. Think, I think Seattle sound is back. Though. Okay. From what I can tell. Yeah, it's a strange, yeah, strange that uh, she's requesting it. Anyway. Uh, last but not least, Rick, something that you've purchased for under $1,500 that's had a positive impact on your life. Huh. That's interesting. Um, 
most recently, uh, I bought a an electric acoustic guitar out of Ireland, a company called Emerald. Emerald. Wait a second. Uh, I usually like to think I'm up on these things, but in a, in a it was an electric acoustic. It, it, yeah, it, it's, an, it's an, an acoustic, acoustic that plugs in. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and it's all carbon fiber, which was unusual, but it kind of intrigued my. I just wanted to. See. And how does it sound? It, it's it's really crisp. Yeah, it's almost a different. It's almost like listening to a the difference between a you know a Fender Stratocaster and maybe a um, an SG a Gibson SG. Right, it's a very different tonality. Tonality. Ah, that's interesting. Interesting. I got a good friend from Winnipeg who's a uh, luthier. Luthier, I guess, makes guitars or whatever. Yeah, he's got a, a five year waiting period right now for his guitars wow which is pretty unbelievable but um yeah it's an odd uh, odd thing to watch uh from the sidelines okay so rick how can people find out more about townline and uh what you're up to um just i guess go to our website uh what is our website <laughs> <laughs> just look us up yeah we'll, we'll have it we'll have it in the outro and we'll google uh, it and we'll have uh we'll have it in the show notes yeah and uh any exciting projects that you guys are working on right now want to talk about well we're we're uh, on the environmental side you know we're that's a project in my mind you know and it's about our plastics you know we we support rugged coast on the island and um we head out there every couple of years and spend four or five days picking up ocean plastics and fishing debris and you'd be shocked at how much stuff we pick up off the coast uh yeah that's an incredible i saw i saw that that's uh that seems like such a neat thing to do it, it is I mean, when, when useful as well. When, obviously, when you're out there, it's certainly um, again. It's our coast is beautiful, rain or shine, but it's uh, it's just sad how much debris is washing in from not just a lot of it from the old fish farms that were abandoned, but also a lot of stuff from overseas that ends up here. And um, so that's kind of on that side of my brain. And then just what we're doing on the uh, um, housing side again, in, in an attempt to find a unsub unsubsidized i'm subsidized unsubsidized sorry i get my words out um form of rental housing we're building our first co-living project in victoria we have about 260 beds of uh co-living which is really like a four or five bedroom apartment you know that you share a common kitchen and living room and a well amenitized building and uh with that we're able to bring in and you know bring rents in below what would typically be a one bedroom so it's uh and this is with zero government support. Is is that the the renter for that university student, or is it just it's just an affordability thing now, where it's like, all right, five six people are gonna. It's learn an, to- it's definitely affordability. It's also I think I think the everything this speaks to so many audiences. You know, it's about urban loneliness. It's about the individual that you know, the kid who is weaning away from the parents' home or moving moving across the country or to the city that really don't have a social circle. So, right. so we're kind of curating their life to socialize with them. And uh, then you've got the student housing, you've got the seniors housing, you've got the, you know, the, right. the four or five 88 year old men who are almost stone deaf and they need Super Bowl on at Mach 5 so they can sit there and not just bother <laughs> everybody else. You know, and, and, and just uh, people that are uh, moving into town for a few months or uh, being transferred from somewhere else. So it's just, it's, it's, it's a, it's a cast of all of all, and it's, yeah. uh, it's and it's about affordability. That's awesome. That's it's it's so funny because you hear about people doing that kind of collectively coming together and building co housing communities, but I'm not too aware of a lot of development companies doing it. Seems I'm not aware of any. Yeah, here. So it um, seems yeah. and wow. it pencils. That's cool. That's yeah. that's it's yeah. tight. It's again. It's but it's another. It's just a, a broader range of rents. So we, in addition to those beds, we do have some one some traditional one bedroom and two bedroom homes also. Right. So it's, uh, it's, uh, but it's a great project and it's a great model. It's just not traditional. So it's a lot more work. Right. Well, thanks again for taking the time today. That was, and coming down to the studio, that was a really enjoyable conversation. Great. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with CEO of Townline, 
Rick Illich. Really enjoyed having Rick in the studio. And uh, yeah, great, great takeaways from the five wire we should talk about. But one thing is, uh, I I forgot to say it, I think, to Rick, but we've had so many people over the years say, uh, you got to get Rick on. And we've actually even reached out to Townline. So it's been it's been great having them and uh, long overdue. Yeah, absolutely. No, it was it was a great conversation. You know, it's funny. It's just how some guys, it's like, yeah, it's just driving around in my truck and just keeping busy being busy. Yeah. And just doing the work, putting in the work. Makes sense though. Yeah. He's 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 that's the thing, is like the he sounds like it's it's cool. The couple things that I was thinking about and like you know, outside of like all the great takeaways about the market and, and, uh, real estate, et cetera. But a guy who thrives on being busy, who can be in the position that he is in, but still super mindful, uh, practicing Buddhist, uh, yeah. all these different things like that, where you're like, Oh man, like it's, it's actually, he seems to do it in a very simple way. Totally. Like he doesn't overthink it. Totally. Totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. No, it was uh it was really good. Uh I did download FADA, F U A D A. Yeah. Yeah. That's the Netflix show about Israel uh Palestine uh right. that was I think has four seasons. Really looking forward to that. You said you watched Oh, I've been just watching. You know what? Like... I think Netflix has actually moved closer to YouTube. Do you not find it's like pumping out content that you never would have expected? And now is like, you're watching like the Robbie, like Robbie Williams. Yeah. Robbie Williams. Yeah. I watched the first, uh, but it's like, for some reason it's like binge worthy in this, but in a different way than you used to think of binging. It's like, you're, you're watching like has been's cry about their life. And you're like, man, this is the best. Is it the best or is it? But it actually makes like, you kind of feel crappy. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, this is the thing. So Yeah, you feel like you're like, man, I can't believe I just wasted six hours on that. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about it from the perspective of like, I watched just the first episode of that Robbie Williams. Does it feel like, and this reminds me of like when Huberman did the anti-alcohol uh, episode and all anyone talked about is uh, um, alcohol and sobriety yeah, and everything. going dry. Does it feel like we're in like a moment for people coming out about like their spiraling, uh, like is addiction? I I don't know. I'm just, I feel like every podcast I'm listening to, that seems to be a big theme. I feel like five years ago, maybe eight years ago, I would have said like, wow, there's like this movement towards like, um, like radical honesty, which is now not that big of a deal, but now it's vulnerability. Radical vulnerability. Yeah. And, and like the delve into that is, I feel like you would, yeah. We also went from celebrating like spiraling drug abuse to now celebrating people yeah. getting clean. And I, the only caveat I'd put here is two guys in their forties talking about this. I feel like it might be the content <laughs> we're actually consuming because I'm pretty sure if there was a 25 year old in the room, they go, no, I, I don't know anything about yeah. these old vulnerable dudes talking about how they went down and came out the other side and, uh, and now yeah. they jog for enjoyment. Uh, I feel like that's a part Very of, part of where we, mid-mid-age. where we are. But uh, Matt, what else do we got for today? Well, we got a lot of good episodes coming up as well. So, yes. so stay tuned, Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. We also have our website, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is where all things real estate related live. I feel like I'm obsessing about our website in a way that I have never before, trying to just make it better and better. It's a new website with tons of new, great content, getting better every day. Head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com where you can find things like the live wire. This is our weekly mailer where you get stats sales ratios before anyone else, different types of stats. If you're interested in following along on what's happening in our market, you need to be on the live wire. I would say that's 100% accurate. VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We also have, of course, private client services. Yeah, Matt. And if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor-level information for free. It's available at your fingertips over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com slash buy with us. All you yeah. got to do is click or you buy just with us. Go to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com and hit that button. Yeah, just click the button and you will get sold prices in real time. This is amazing. You can find out what your neighbors are selling for or even just track the markets you're interested in. 
Absolutely. And if you want to talk about that or anything else, you can give me a call at any time, 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. And of course, we always got that Kokomo line, info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We'll have a great week. We've only got about, uh, what, about six weeks left or so, five or six weeks left. We're getting back on the uh, tools. The end of the year. We're getting back on the tools. We've got some amazing episodes coming to round out 2023. And man, we already got a few episodes coming in 2024. So this is super exciting. Stay tuned. Some more great content coming your way. And thanks for listening. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Mm-hmm.